Welcome to the Stacking Slabs podcast. Join Brett to get the latest sports cards investment advice, hear from industry experts that are deep in the trenches, and find out when to turn left when the rest of the market is going right. Get eBay ready, get PayPal ready. Let's be students of the game and stack those slabs. What is up? Welcome back to Stacking Slabs, your hobby content alternative. I am your host, Brett McGrath. I'm ready to roll. How are you? Hopefully you're out there doing well, getting your weekend started off right, fiending for some hobby content that matters. I called in a relief pitcher this week. I was in a pinch. I needed to close out the week strong. Got my man Chris from Card Ladder. If you're on Instagram, you might know him as Chris Hoge or Chris Hodge or whichever way you call him. It's Chris McGill here on the Stacking Slabs podcast. We are talking about side PCs, some data points sprinkled in there, maybe some hobby content. And of course, we're going to hit on a topic I explored on the Winded Today episode, and that is curiosity. If you like what I'm doing over here, do all the things everyone tells you to do. Follow, subscribe, all those things. Most importantly, tell a damn friend you're enjoying stacking slabs. Let's kick it to the conversation. What's up? Called in a... uh replacement pinch runner or pinch hitter or closer relief pitcher whatever I'm, I'm talking baseball analogies out of the top and i hardly even watch baseball but i got chris mcgill back on the show we are going to cover some topics that are relevant to the hobby and some things that are on our mind um chris welcome back how's it going man thanks for having me back yeah i'll go with the closer analogy i like that matter of fact have I pitched nine innings of stacking slabs appearances yet? It could be close. I mean, we're we're a couple of years into this thing, and I, you're definitely. I know Drake's coming for that crown, but I think you're still ahead here. Yeah, tell Drake to back <laughs> off. I see him coming. Look, I might not collect Peyton Manning, but I got a lot of other things to offer. You do. You do. You have a a. a industry leading data platform that you you work on that was acquired with from one of the, the biggest hobby conglomerate in the space. So that says something. You got something to hang your hat on. Yes. I, like I said, I may not be a paid Manning collector, but that's that's not a bad second place. You know, I love the paid Manning collectors, Brett. Like, <laughs> there is not a more loyal, dedicated group of collectors. Every week on the crossover, without fail, <laughs> multiple paid Manning-related questions. You have to respect it. I, I live... So, I've shared this with you, but I uh, typically I'm I, being a, a father. I typically am in bed before the live stream. Actually, this week I was going like in my bed, going to bed and like had Instagram up and it said like, you know, Cardboard Chronicles and Chris Hosier going live. And I was like, fuck, like I remember the days when I could like be involved in that. But I always listen <laughs> on the back end and mm-hmm. um, definitely hear the the Peyton Manning questions there. They're out there for sure. And so shout out to all my loyal Manning collectors out there trying to defend 18 in the marketplace. Yeah, man. I am fully convinced also that Peyton is super underrated, not just hobby-wise, but football-wise, man. Five MVPs. No one has ever done it. The only guy who's got a shot to match it right now who's active is Aaron Rodgers. I just, okay, so Aaron Rodgers, yo, like, what are we talking about here? We're talking about goat quarterbacks. Like I just, but you know, something was interesting. I was 
sometimes I just like to look up like the highest selling card that a player's ever had. And Peyton Manning, outside of that lot that Josh Luber bought, where Josh Luber threw down a cool quarter million dollars last April on a huge golden lot full of Peyton Manning cards. And then he showed them off to Peyton at the Mint Collective, which was funny. But besides that, the highest selling Peyton card ever was in 2019, right? And it was the playoff contender ticket auto PSA 10 with a really clean auto. And it sold for 72 grand. And, you know, card ladder value using the Peyton Manning index puts it at about 300K today. So, like, not bad for an unnumbered card, you know, that's very condition sensitive. So, like, Peyton, you know, the thing about Peyton and having such diehard collectors is, like, his stuff just doesn't sell. You know, that card, when, when are we ever going to see that card again? Is that card ever going to come up on auction again? No. So, we're never going to get to see that card actually sell for 300k or not not whatever. with an auto that clean yeah and then also like um uh, you know, there's some other players too like poo holes you were talking baseball baseball's on a lot of people's minds you know poo holes had a card sell for half a million dollars this year um and it's numbered to 500 right a psa 10 is bowman chrome refractor also sold on gold and so like it's nice to see these goats of the late 90s to 2000s you know who really made their mark on sports in the in that era having monster cards monster monster cards they 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 are getting some love it's just we just don't see it because it's not like the the trey young prism gold psa 10 that sells every three months for six figures on the big auction houses so when i i hear you like when you said pujos and that big sale and we're talking about manning because we always talk about manning that's just kind of <laughs> what we do but like i think about those two players and like they were respectively the best or the second best player in their league for damn near a decade. And so it's almost like, okay, you see the sale like that from Albert Pujols. Yeah. He might not be doing what he's doing statistically now than what he was doing back then, but it's kind of like, it's the long game, right? If you're, if you believe in these players or if they're retired and you want to buy into it, and you hold them eventually over time, memories, nostalgia, all that stuff compounds where you're finally like, all right, I need to go buy a new house or I need to go do this. I'm not advising people to sell their collections, but I'm just saying like, it's a safer investment to put your money in guys that have the stats and the accolades and are sure first ballot hall of famers, as opposed to going out and dumping your money into, and no disrespect, but I got to just say it, Mac Jones, Zach Wilson, just all of these, even, even like a Justin Herbert for his prices at this point. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Those guys are lower maintenance too. You know, like you don't have to follow uh week by week news. You don't, you don't have to set your phone to get alerts for the next time Zach Wilson is banging his mom's best friend <laughs> and wonder how that's affecting uh, the card market there. Like, like that's, that's, you know, and, and, and also like, Personally, I love to be highly actively involved. I like to monitor things. I like high maintenance uh, collecting, let's call it. But low maintenance collecting is very uh, desirable. You know, you collect the Pujols, you, you collect a Peyton, you collect a Michael Jordan, uh, Kareem, you know, a Magic Johnson, like guys like this, like you collect these guys and you don't have to watch box scores, you know, for six months out of the year and 
get emotionally wrapped up in outcomes of playoff games and stuff like that. Like it's already, the die has already been cast and there is something appealing about that. So you, you and Josh were talking about something, I think on this last week crossover, which I found interesting. And um, the, basically this is what I've picked up on you just from just knowing you and like listening to you talk, but like you basically said it last week, like you go to sleep listening to the Bill Simmons podcast, right? Like (laughs) that dude, when, when the athletic dropped the six part Andrew Luck series Mm -hmm. yesterday, I, I literally listened to every Zach Kiefer episode, all six hours of content starting at 5.00 AM. I listened to zero while I was working because I can't listen to pods while I'm working listen to six hours in a daytime. I'm done with it. It was fantastic. But I, I think about like, I think about all the like P, uh, pro football focus podcasts. I think about the athletic football show that I listen to. I think about all these like non hobby related podcasts that make me a more informed uh, fan. And also I think helps me. Uh, I can apply some of what I'm learning to the hobby and find opportunities. Um, so I know you're in that realm, probably more on like the basketball side, but, uh, we're addicted to great content. And I think you and Josh were talking about the fact that, and by no means, like I am a content creator in the hobby, uh, but, and by no means I'm, am I putting down my peers? There are, you name several, there are plenty of good hobby platforms, content platforms out there, but it just doesn't seem like we're flo- I'm flooded with enough that give me the substance that like some of these football podcasts that are more just like nerdy data football related. <laughs> I wish I was distracted by that on the hobby side, but I'm not. So like maybe like take a moment just to talk a little bit about that and your perspective yeah. and maybe what you think what you would like to see and what we can do to maybe just create better content in the hobby. Yep. Well, I watched a really nicely done YouTube episode by a guy named Victor Roman, who does a breakdown of the 86 Fleer versus the 84 star Jordan. But, you know, he's, he gets into, you know, it's, it's really nicely done. He, he sets it up. He gives you timelines. He gives you history. You know, he and, and and then when it's all said and done, he gives his opinion. It was nicely structured. And I liked it because I like podcasts. I like the Bill Simmons podcast for this reason. I like lots of podcasts for this reason. When I can like learn something, a nice learn a nice little nugget, store it in my brain, and then use it and apply it at some later point. That is the measure of a good podcast to me. So I love sports podcasts. Because, you know, especially ones that are data driven, because they like load me up with nuggets of statistics and facts. And I just carry them around and wait for opportunities to use them, <laughs> and, and which is fun to me. That's what I like to do. And so when hobby podcasts and content are able to distribute nuggets of information like that, that's when to me, like as a listener, I'm firing on all cylinders. Like I'm engaged, I'm storing stuff, I'm retaining stuff because there is something to be said about the podcast medium, you know, just things that are, that are taken in through the podcast form just seem to, I just seem to retain them better. You know, it's just, they, they just somehow they, they sink into my brain better than if I read it or if I see it somewhere else. So the podcast is a very powerful medium, and that's what I want. I want I want like a little nugget that I can take and use in some other way. So I was listening to the 
pro football focus podcast on my walk before we got on. And a listener asked this question and the, the question had to do with the Buffalo. It, this is no disrespect to the Buffalo bills. You are super bowl favorites fans, but this is just a nugget. Someone said like, was talk, commenting on like the Buffalo bills wanting to make a bet with the host that their offensive line would finish in the top five based on PFF grade. Well, there was an argument that they would might finish more. They would have a better chance of finishing low on the bottom five. And then, then they came to the conclusion that they're probably better chance that they would fall somewhere in the middle. So I'm listening to this and I, I cannot stop thinking about the Kansas city super bowl against the bucks. And I, I can't stop seeing Mahomes throw the ball on his back and think about that patchwork offensive line. And it's going to, it's going to skew my perspective going into the season where that's going to be a vulnerability that I'm going to look at. <laughs> and I would never have looked at that if I didn't listen to that nugget and those data points about their offensive guard, who's not very good and mm. all these things. But, but what you hear in the mainstream media is how great the bills are and which they're a phenomenal team. But, and then you, they paint the picture of, being so close against the Chiefs in the playoffs, which they were. But I just think like that additional l- level of insight that really good content creators can offer us, they're they're putting it out there. It's free in most cases. It's like, I I, I feel you. And I, I think we as content people in the hobby have a great opportunity with everything in front of us to use data to our advantage and, you know, share information that's not the same as every, that same thing that everyone else is sharing. Oh yeah, I love that. You've always done a nice job of uh, using data. Like, like I, I try to like drop little nuggets for people myself. Like, if I was listening to this podcast, I would probably retain like, oh, a Pujols card sold for half a million dollars. Like, I would just store that. I would just store that nugget and maybe use it sometime. And you do a really nice job on social media and in the podcast of like bringing in data where it matters and giving people things to chew on. And you know. Tying podcast content that's not hobby related but hobby adjacent, like mm. sports, you know, analytical style content, tying it into the hobby. That those podcasts have been so influential on shaping my collecting over the last year, maybe year to two years, as I've like really gotten deep into like NBA, you know, obscure NBA podcasts and stuff. Like, I feel like I know many of the guys on the circuit who kind of you know, are either beat writers for teams that I follow, or, you know, they write for the athletic or sports illustrated or one of or ESPN. And I just listen. And, you know, that has actually fueled a lot of my collecting over the last year is like the, the guy, the players that these guys respect and the way that they're able to make arguments for the players that they think are, are great. You know, it, it's persuaded me to collect in certain ways and stuff. So like it, these podcasts truly are hobby adjacent because like they are influencing me and persuading me to look at the sport differently. And then obviously that impacts how I want to express my sports fandom as a collector. So I would imagine, because I think you're on record of saying like you didn't really care for Jokic watching him play. Mm -hmm. And then I'm guessing you listened to enough NBA nerds talk about yes, his yes. historical significance. And then you started exactly. watching it and seeing what he was doing. And then you buy his best card. That's right? exactly what happened. They persuaded me. They, there's a, there's this guy, Michael Pena, 
who's a Sports Illustrated writer and hosts a podcast. And they only come out once every few weeks, but I just love them. And he was like the maybe the straw that broke the camel's back for me because he just was so passionately advocating for Jokic and and just had this this uh, just this army of statistics that he could just direct at anybody who disagreed with him. And I really liked that. I found it really compelling. So, I mean, that Jokic is the byproduct of just going deep into NBA nerd dumb. And, uh, and and being and coming out the other side, being really persuaded to see the sport the way that that these guys see it. We're going to talk a little bit about kind of some side PC stuff. Um, but before we do that, I I know you're like the, uh, the man in the data on a regular basis. Is there there's always interesting things going on in the hobby data related? Um, I think just the narrative mainstream narrative right now is that. The market is down, but mm-hmm. I think, you know, there, it's probably not down in every specific segment. Is there anything that you've been seeing that you've found interesting just going on in the hobby recently? Uh, well, the market is down um, and but it's but it, it's down, but it's, um, you know, it's, it's not top shot down. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> it's it's not like uh, it's not like it's also collapsed on itself, you know. Quite the contrary, even though prices are down, uh, you know, spending in the aggregate is consistent. So that, you know, what does that mean? Does that mean maybe a few more people are selling than usual? So that's what's putting downward pressure on prices. Maybe people are just being a little more conservative. You know, the 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 um, the sort of euphoria of like, hey, you know, stock markets soaring, cryptocurrencies are soaring, real estate market is soaring. Alternative assets are soaring. You know, the euphoria of that maybe kind of cooled off a little bit, and people kind of are are mellowing out, taking a break. Uh, but you know, there's uh, it never fails. Um, every big golden auction, every big PWCC auction, every PWCC weekly, every day on eBay, there are cards selling for all time highs, and I get to see them every single day. And I and, and I'm also looking only at a, a sliver. You know. I'm looking at about 30,000 cards uh, and seeing which ones, you know, among those 30,000 are setting records. Um, you know, there are, there are surely more than the ones that are in my purview that are, that are recording all-time highs. But every day without fail, when, you know, it's three in the morning and I'm just wrapping up my work and my final step is to pick out uh, – you know, six, seven, eight cards to send in the daily card letter email. And, you know, so I, I always like, I, I have a list that gets compiled of all the cards that have set all time highs over the last few weeks. And I, it never fails. You know, every day there are interesting, really cool cards setting record prices every single day. So is there, is there any, like, uh, is there any, is anything surprised you or is it, it, you know, for so long to me, it was like anytime I pulled up and looked at the headlines, it was, you know, some Mahomes, some Luca, some, mm-hmm. you know, some top like hobby heartthrob that was setting new prices. <laughs> and it was like, okay, this is normal. This is what happens. Yeah. Um, I've noticed a little bit. It seems like, you know, there's been a lot of obscure vintage names that I don't yes. even know who they are, but they're yes. cars. Is there been anything else that you've observe that's interesting just in terms of what's 
selling make it record highs that are going down right now 70s vintage stuff across all sports is doing well so like is that uh, is that because of is that because is that because of like set collecting you think hmm. uh yeah i think psa set registry and set collecting impact that and i think people see um investment opportunities so like the 76 tops Kareem, this was the top headline three days ago. The 76 tops Kareem PSA 10, obviously not a rookie card. Uh, it sold for seven grand and that was an all time high. Uh, it sold the previous sale was uh, 1600 bucks in 2019. <laughs> so what's the, what's the population on that? 10 pop 10, right? Jeez. So the, this is definitely something that uh has captivated buyers is low pop psa 10s you know even like here's something like a a, like much more obscure but still i think applicable on the same day we had a headline for the 1983 tops franco harris the great stealer his psa 10 is a pop 28 for his 83 tops uh it sold for 200 bucks and uh, it had last sold for 133 bucks a year ago. So, you know, <laughs> percentage-wise, uh, really, really strong, really strong. And, you know, there's only 28 of these things. So, you know, I, I, I think, like, the low pop stuff creates a sense of urgency. And, like, this is something that Josh made a great point about on a few crossovers ago. It also ties into, like, how cards today work where like you have these impossible grails like logo man autograph one of ones and prism black one of ones and then like golds out of 10 you have these just impossible chase cards that have you know find panini era and and you, you that's how you get like an anthony edwards card selling for half a million dollars because, you know, and Josh like made this point really well, like a big part. So like, yeah, okay. So here's a sale. So 2020 rookie flawless logo man autograph, Anthony Edwards, one of one, just a really stunning card sold for 426 grand with golden a few weeks ago. And like, yeah, Anthony Edwards is amazing. Great young talented player, but equally as important in the equation of why this card sold so strong is because it's just such a cool card. It's just stunning. It's, just, it's a gorgeous card. And, you know, it's from one of the very best brands. You know, and I think like that there's this, this, like this, this impossible scarcity and beautiful card thing. Like it also applies to vintage, like these pop ones, these pop tens, you know, pop 28 vintage cards where you know that there's very likely never going to be another PSA 10 of this stuff. Like I think it's the same mindset. You know, it's the same mindset. Like, People want the really, really cool cards as much as they want cards of great players. I, I imagine like the Franco Harris card and that sale. Why I love that is because I envision someone just like getting done with their responsibilities for the day, pulling up eBay, seeing that card for $200, being a Steeler season ticket holder or grew up being a Steelers fan. And just saying 200 bucks for this, no big deal. Not even looking at the history, buy it now. Like that's what, and then I think on like the Anthony Edwards example, something that like, I don't feel like people like 
chat about enough, but you see these monster record sales of these young players and these super rare cards. And you got to think like the platform, the golden platform that it sold on. Like I would imagine that whoever's getting Ken Golden's emails, there's probably a, a whole nother universe of hobby people who are collecting cards that aren't the same people that we're interacting with day to day on Instagram. So the opening of the door to a new segment of the hobby where people have tons of money and they look at cards as an investment and they can afford that. Like that's good for the hobby. And I think sometimes some of that friction rocks the world and people say like, I don't, I can't believe this card selling for that much, but it's almost like a whole nother universe of people that are the ones that are out there spending that types of money. Maybe I could be wrong. Maybe I'm just speculating, but I always think that's, interesting is just like think about like the reach in the audience that someone like ken has you know totally yeah without a doubt like you know it just a a few more uh headlines just because you've got my brain firing about this since you it's like here's a headline from a week ago or nine days ago 1979 tops eddie murray baseball player psa 10 pop 31 sold for two grand and the prior sale was 840 bucks a year and a half ago. Okay. Like just, you know, these are the cards that, uh, that are doing, you know, the, the crazy ROIs right now. And it's, it's fun to look at and see, and you, you just, you never know, you never know what segment is going to pop when and what's motivating it. I do think we have like, to your point a little bit, I think we have segments of this hobby that are like isolated nation states that don't talk to each other (laughs) and sort of hate each other (laughs) different languages different currencies different cultures different histories you know and so like uh a lot of times it's just it's just ships passing in the night and so like I try to get a blend of all of it in the latter headlines. Like, uh, and, and some of it I don't understand as a collector. I, I understand the data, but I don't, you know, I don't know the history of the import. It's like the 52 tops Hoyt Willem PSA nine, which is a pop seven, right? So 52 tops is a very iconic baseball set. This card sold for 54 grand uh, last month with PWCC, you know, 54 grand. And, and like, this is a sale that probably almost nobody in my Instagram network of, you know, nineties collectors, ultra modern collectors, we probably don't even know what happened, you know, or if we're just browsing auction results, we just go right on by just like, Oh, vintage card, 50 grand. Okay. Moving on, you know, and they, and they're, and they are doing the same thing to us mm-hmm. or, you know, like Anthony Edwards, I don't even know who this is, you know, whatever. Oh, big shiny card you know that's gonna be worth zero dollars soon yeah it's 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 going both ways and that's why you know data is a really good way to cross those borders to explain to the modern and the ultra modern collectors what's going on in vintage and to explain to the vintage collectors what's going on in modern and ultra modern without having to cram collecting theses down each other's throats you know just not saying mine's better not saying yours is better just but like look you know something really cool just is happening in in 70s cards right now 
and it's neat. Totally. And I think data maybe can be the segue into the conversation on side PC stuff. But like, I, I think we all feel this as collectors. We, we get this feeling where we're collecting a player and we're losing at an auction on cards and you're, you're seeing the price of these cards and you're like, man, like, yeah, that's a little outside my range. And then mm-hmm. you try other avenues and it's just, you reach this, this moment where you're like, man, I, I don't think I'm ready to pay these kind of prices, but I'm certainly not ready to stop collecting. So that like obstacle that gets presented in front of our player PCs, I think to me, and I know you embrace this, opens the door to like something really fascinating. And it's just like going down new rabbit holes of side building out side PCs and, and trying to figure out who the player is. And in my experience, the number one factor, and I'd love for you to just like provide some commentary on this, but like the number one factor for me is like, I get the opportunity to buy like really badass cards of players that aren't Peyton Manning, who I wish I had the Peyton Manning version of that card, but because I don't, it's still cool because I'm owning a card, a brand, a parallel of a card of a card that I dreamed of owning. And yeah, it's not Peyton. It's some other guy on the image, but that makes me want to dive deeper into that side PC. So that's my experience. I know you're exploring a lot of different PCs based on maybe hitting a Luca wall at some point. And I know a Jordan wall. So maybe just share some perspective on like the side PC and your mentality around it. Yeah. Okay. That's great. Okay. So I, here's an open challenge to all stacking slabs, podcast listeners, audience members, Worldwide, here's the challenge. Find a player that you can reasonably call yourself the best collector of in the world or get the best card of that player in the world. Find someone that you can do that for. And you can do that at very reasonable, affordable price levels if you pick the right player. If you pick the right player, it can be done. And I think there's something neat in a collector's psychology about being able to climb that mountain and become the top collector or own the top card of a professional athlete or you know a character if you're into TCG or you know if you're into entertainment cards and stuff like that become the top collector or own the top card of somebody and maybe you hate it. <laughs> maybe you're like, I don't want to be the big fish in a small pond. And you sell it and you move on. Or maybe you say, you know what? This is a nice feather in my cap as a collector. You know, I'll never own the prism black rookie, you know, of take your pick of the great, you know, football and basketball players of this era. But, you know, I can own it. Of, CJ McCollum, or, you know, I could own it of player, you know, Juancho Hernan Gomez, uh, Bo Cruz or so, you know, I don't know. And, and then, you know, what happens once you, this is what I love about side PCs and I keep building them. <laughs> you know, this is what I love about them though, is that they teach you about a whole new athlete and a whole new set of statistics, a whole new career resume a whole new narrative around a player and a team and a career. And inevitably you end up 
learning things and learning new ways to understand other things. It adds a little more depth of understanding to all the other players you collect. You know, adding Le'Veon Bell as a player that I collect has made me appreciate certain things about other football players, certain things about other football cards, you know, have a certain appreciation, have a perspective of how different things go. Le'Veon Bell was like, was voted uh, by his peers as the fifth best player because the NFL does that top 100 thing. Going into the 2018 season, he was voted as the fifth best player and the best running back in the NFL. <laughs> okay, like very high honor. Some would say he was even the best running back for two or three years. Now, you know, out of the spotlight, uh, had an unfortunate fall from grace just because of like sitting out the season and stuff and super affordable cards. Like, you know, I, I was able to get his select rookie, the black one of one select, which is just like a stunning card, like for a few hundred bucks, you know? So like Le'Veon Bell in recent memory, the best running back in the NFL. And I'm able to put together some of his very best cards for just a few hundred bucks. I'm able to put together his prism gold run for a few hundred bucks. And to your point, you know, it's, it's getting to own. I don't own the select black rookie one of one for any other player, but I own it for Le'Veon Bell, which is really cool. And so, you know, I, I, that, that helps me think about Christian McCaffrey differently, who I collect helps me think about, you know, lots of, there's lots of ripple effects and the next PC side. So something to maybe layer on there too, is like, I've been buying a lot of, you know, mid two thousands cards. And so like with the exploration of like collecting a guy like Philip rivers, it opens my mind to parallels that I might not have seen before. And I was aware of this parallel and um, it's the 2006 gold extractor from finest, which there's 10 copies. It's I've got the rivers. I recently, because I bought the rivers, I bought the Edron James, even though he's in a Cardinals uniform, because I think it's the most, one of the most stunning cards I've ever seen. It's got scarcity. Well, because I think these cards are beautiful. I got a safe search set up and, um, you know, I saw a Sean Merriman out there and I, it was like, it's it's on there right now and someone will probably buy it if i don't buy it ahead of it but it's like 25 bucks and i'm like this card is gorgeous sean merriman was a menace in the league for you know five or six years it's like this happened to me with 2002 finest x-fractors out of 20 there's a rich gannon sitting out there 2002 rich gannon was the mvp of the league his x-fractor was out there 20 copies for $40. I'm not <laughs> saying like Rich Gannon's going to a Hall of Famer are going to light the world on fire, but like 10, 20 years from now, there are going to be Raiders fans that think fondly of that year of Rich Gannon. So it's like, I don't know. It's like this element of like, if you love the card, like go get more of them and, it, and like let the nostalgia take over. Like that's kind of the position I'm in, in the exploration and the curiosity of what else is out there. That's what's really been driving kind of my hobby experience recently and to be honest with you it's kind of like the most fun i'm having that's great yeah that's such a discovery too like uh not to get too corny about the virtues of education but <laughs> it, it's an ongoing education in the history of sport that that is channeled by cards 
And so, you know, I, dude, this is the first time I've thought about Rich Gannon in 10 years. But I remember I was a Raiders fan as a kid. And I remember those Rich Gannon seasons, Tim Brown, Napoleon Kaufman, you know, uh, Art Shell, the, the coach. I remember all those years. It just comes Rocket Ishmael. You know, I just remember those teams. And I remember Rich Gannon. I remember that. I remember that season. I remember the the heartbreak of the playoffs and NFL MVP, man. That's just, that's such a, a piece of NFL history. And, uh, you know, so like we're, and we're enriching our, our, our knowledge of sport through eBay save searches of cool cards. Like that's just a virtuous circle. If I've ever heard of one where, you know, you learn more about a set leads you to players remember or learn more about the history of the sport through those players, which then in turn feeds back into wanting to develop collecting of those players. And that it's just, it's, it's really good. It's, it's good stuff. So the, so like I always think about, and when I'm like exploring these sets and because I appreciate the aesthetics, I own a car and appreciate the aesthetics. And then it's like the nostalgia takes over it. Like it always, and I know like there's this narrative in the hobby. It's always like, what's the next PMG? Like everyone's always, but like, if you look at the PMG, it's like, well, people really fucking like the way these cards look. And the reason uh, Ronnie cycle, he sells for 3000, $10,000, whatever it is, is because like people marry the nostalgia and the aesthetics. And then now there's the significance attached. So people don't even think twice. So I'm like, all right, like, this seems like, you know, over time, like the behaviors of the collectors always rise to the top and then these sets prove out points. But it's like, to me, it's like going down these lanes and buying, spending money on these cards that like you think look cool are nostalgic and make you happy. Yeah, just because they're not maybe like $2,000 a pop, like don't let that deter you from doing it because buy it and sit on it. And who knows if it's making you happy and they look cool in your PC. I think that's really all that matters. Completely agree. I, yeah. And I, I too love the fact that obscure players can have four or five figure cards because they're in a great set. I love that. Um, not that this guy is an obscure player by any means. In fact, he has a case of being underrated, I think, as well. Brett Favre mm. had a 97 PMG green. And remember, in football, they're numbered to 15, not 10. There's 50% more of these in football. But his 97 PMG green, which is beautiful, it's a color match. Green on green. Sold for 80 grand as a PSA 9 last month with PWCC. That's a, that's a really nice sale. And the last time that a PMG green Favre had sold um, was for about 20 grand two years earlier in a PSA seven. So like, the PSA nine grade is obviously a factor, but there's just interesting things happening in all different pockets of this hobby. It's almost like our jobs, you know, as content creators to let people know about it. That's one of the unique things about this particular era of sports cars and social media. We have the ability to communicate information about sales that are happening in markets that our audiences might not be paying attention to, which is really cool. Like that Brett Favre sale is amazing. (laughs) 80 grand for, you know, a fourth year or a fifth year Brett Favre card 
PMG green, really cool sale. And then also this social media era um, allows us to see because of breaking when lots of the big cards get pulled. It's like when the Mac Jones prism black one of one hit, when the Trey Lance hit, when the Cade Cunningham hit, when the Jalen green hit, like we all knew about it. And the the breaker who pulled it, you know, is sharing it and we're all seeing it. Like, dude, if this was 20 years ago, 30 years ago, you might never see those cards. They might get pulled at, at some LCS and they get put into some kid's shoebox and then you never hear about that card again, you know? Whereas now in the social media area, you know, some of that, some of that mystery for better and for worse, some of that mystery is lifted. And, you know, we're able to see and know where these ultimate chase cards end up at. So I couldn't agree more. And I think like, I think about Brett Favre and I didn't blink at that sale. Like I didn't blink at that sale because I know like the scarcity. And I also like know how Brett Favre makes me feel. Mm. And I think about the game where his dad passed away. And I think about just like the grittiness and all the moments and memories just as a fan of football watching him play I like so I didn't even blink seeing that and so I like would just challenge anyone listening like go explore like get obsessed with exploring the nostalgia for you or whatever that is because chances are there's plenty of opportunities on the other side of it it's like on the modern era it's like whether you like it or not and I'm saying this just in general to the hobby whether you like it or not like prism is the brand of the hobby and (laughs) it is the most significant and what happens when Prism breaks and goes down and new release, it's unlike any other thing in the hobby. So like, while it might not be for you, I think the way that Prism uh, elicits excitement in collectors and investors and every different segment, I think is really special. And that's something just on the other side of like some, the NFL release and the NBA and the WWE release, like I've been taking note of and like, I'm a prism gold simp. Like I love them. Like I'm not buying every parallel, but I'm buying prism gold if it's a player. But I just think like, I know that's maybe beating a dead horse a little bit, but I think like prism is significant and just like what it does to the communities. Unlike anything else. Yeah. I'm actively trying to brand myself as a prism simp. I'm, <laughs> I'm very happy to, uh, to go down with the prism ship. I, I think prism, you know, here's the thing too. Like I can show you a Beckett magazine, a Beckett basketball magazine from uh, 1997 or maybe 1998 that has the review of the product release for metal universe from the first year of PMGs. And I believe the Beckett review was two out of five stars. <laughs> and they were like, eh, you know, this is okay. You know, like we, this is a little bit weird. All these, you know, drawings in the background and the comic book ification of this, these cards, you know, two out of five. You know. And now the PMG parallel set, you know, is the king of nineties parallels. Uh, look, I, on, on the last crossover, I went on Cardboard Connection and read all the reviews of this year's Prism and just people just trashing it. You know, the design, it's its just a rehash of the previous year and it's so overpriced and you get killed on your box. And uh, all of which may in fact be true. But 
Um, I think the way, especially the way this hobby works is we don't have fond memories of, you know, we don't, we don't have the fondness, the reverence for these products until they're long gone. And then we look back and we say, Oh man, wasn't prism great. Well, it wasn't metal universe. So great. And I'm trying to see it. And I've seen prism get released now for five straight years. And every year, everybody hates the design. It doesn't oh, yeah. matter. It doesn't matter. Oh, I hate you. Know, this year's Prism design is so terrible. You know, I remember when 2018 Prism came out and uh, everyone's just like, oh, you know, this design is crap. And uh, there's just rehashing previous years and blah, blah. And now, you know, there's people, there's many people out there who would say that 2018 Prism is one of their favorite Prism designs ever. Dude, it, I know you hopped on after we got done chatting yesterday, but uh, anytime Lameem James is doing mm. a live, I'm jumping on. And he had, I, I, I didn't listen. I'm assuming they were G's cards, but yeah. he's sitting there filming through literally every Steph Curry gold prism card. And <laughs> yeah. I, I'm telling you what, like, I know he's had had those and stuff, but like to, to see that all together like that was like, literally one of the coolest things I've seen in the hobby all year. And it could have honestly been any player. Like there's a DeMar DeRozan collector out there who literally has all of his DeRozans out there. And I'm like, this is the coolest shit ever. And maybe that's just like what I appreciate. Um, but that like journey to, to obtain all of those and to put them all down in one picture, like to me that that's collecting. And I don't know. I wish, I wish I saw more stuff prism or unprism, any other brand that was like that, because I think it, it tells the story of a journey. Oh yeah, dude. I, I love it. Uh, he, Lameem has been rehashing that content for a few years now. Every time he gets together with G, he just uh, makes him break out the gold prism curries and post it. And, and it, and it's always a huge hit. It always is because it's exactly what you said. It's so satisfying to see the run of prism gold curries all put together like that. It's really satisfying. And you're right. It doesn't matter who the player would be. It, it's just the completion of it and, you know, the celebration of, you know, when all the factors align, you know, player and set parallel, you know, when, when all of it works, it's really, really cool and creative and imaginative. So I'm, I'm with you. And, you know, the, the one thing about brands though, and like I've, as a guy who's been down the deepest Christian McCaffrey rabbit hole imaginable, where I've got one of ones of this guy from the most obscure Panini set, you know, that exists. <laughs> and uh, it's really fun and cool to collect players that way. You know, Panini, Panini some of Panini's best contributions to this era of the hobby is their normalization of one of ones. And the fact that like they have a, a sizable number of them across all their products. So like, if you want to be a Luca one of one rookie collector, and you you're like me, you just want to focus on like non autograph, non memorabilia, non plates. There's like 150 to choose from. You know, like that's a decent number. And the gold, the the consistency of the gold out of ten is another great contribution that Panini has made to this era. But you know, when you do go down all these rabbit holes, you know, oh, okay, I got, got this Spectra Nebula out of two and this National Treasures, you know, laundry tag, fourth year, one of one. And 
this certified, you know, base one of one. And, you know, it, it, after you've gone down that rabbit hole and come back up, you know, what I find myself wanting is just like, I, you know, I would be content if really, if, if I just had the full prism black one of one run, that, that would actually be the best. Sell this, so. sell this man, the rookie black. He needs it in his <laughs> PC. There, I'm advocating for you. Please. We got to get out. We got to get out of here, but I know uh, the Carlotta team will have a presence at the national. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe talk about the event you'll be hosting at Bleecker. Yeah. Very quickly. We'll be at booth 145 at the national uh and uh there'll also be information about card letter the collector's holdings uh set up in the corporate area and then uh monday night in new york in manhattan at bleaker trading on christopher street we are hosting the pre-national event it's called the layover from 7 to 10 p.m all are welcome there's going to be lots of goodies and fun stuff going on that we're not making public they just, if you show up, you get to be a part of it. So come on down Monday before the national in Manhattan, 7 PM. Always enjoy the conversation, Chris. Uh, there will be plenty more so you can make sure you still are rocking that SSP crown. Um, appreciate it, man. And safe travels out East. Just trying to be the Mariano Rivera of stacking slabs. <laughs> Thanks, Brad. Always enjoy those conversations with Chris. We can go and go and go and talk about cards and talk about sports forever and ever. Go check out Card Ladder at the National. They'll be there. I wish I could be there. It's going to be fun. Take care of yourself. Take care of others around you. We'll be back. More Stacking Slabs podcast coming at you next week. Peace out. Peace out.